Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Amen. Well, thank you for allowing me to come and, and preach the word this morning. <clears throat> I saw Blake had a little cup holder down there, so I was like, that's a good idea. So I used that this morning. <clears throat> um, first off, uh, TJ wasn't lying. You guys have knowing or unknowingly supported us really, really well, and I really appreciate that. We started the bridge, my wife and I started the bridge collegiate ministry five years ago, and we started at a campus called Missouri Valley College that is in Marshall, Missouri, and God has done unreal things. Uh, went from having our first night of having six people to now having regularly attending about 300 people on campus. It's a 1,700 person campus. Um, we've seen kind of this sweeping trend of students either being launched into ministry or leaving to go into ministry or going to seminary afterwards or going into missions afterwards, and it's been unbelievable. Um, <laughs> quickly after starting that, we, we heard there, that uh, there, was a, there was a need at Mizzou, and I was like, well, there's like 27 campus ministries. They're like, yeah, but there's only 1,500 or less students involved in these ministries. And percentage-wise, we're like, wow, what can we do to make a difference? We still need all ministries that are preaching God's word and believing in the gospel, but um, we want to make a difference. And so we're praying big things. Uh, we're praying... Uh, that, that God would reach a, a larger percentage than we have, and I think it starts with it within discipling our students and multiplying them out into the campus, and uh, we appreciate you guys helping us get that started. Uh, I also want to say, TJ, from the first time I ever came to a pastor's meeting, uh, he viciously attacked me with kindness uh, and uh, was inviting me to go eat and hang out and just check on my heart. And it's been awesome getting to know him. He even offered me his back closet uh, in his office um, to be my office. So, like, occasionally, if you go back there and, like, stomp on the floor, I'll come out of the back closet. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I can help. Um, it, it's been fun. You know, and also just uh, the fact that you would, you would trust me this morning to come and preach is, is pretty awesome. So I, I thank you for that, and I don't take that lightly. Uh, before we kind of dig into the scripture, I kind of want to, want to give you where my thought was on selecting today. He didn't make me preach Ecclesiastes, which I'm very grateful for. Those are hard texts. Blake, you did a good job last week. That's a hard text. Uh, it's all vanity. I'd be like, that's it. Uh, sit down. I guess I'm pretty worthless. Uh, <laughs> but this week, uh, I want to, I, I, I was tasked with preaching hope. I was like, all right, I can do this. So a week before I went on a mission trip, I was thinking through my head, I could pick anything I want, which is kind of dangerous for me to do sometimes, and, and I was going, and I was going down to pick up the vans and, uh, that, that we were going on this mission trip last week on, and, and uh, I saw this really bad wreck when I went into town, and then as I was leaving town a few hours later, there was even more police officers there. I was like, wow, that's pretty bad. And as I'm just leaving town in Centralia, where we're picking up the vans to borrow, uh, I got a phone call that said, Scott, turn around. Um, one of my former youth had died in a car accident, and that was her car accident. I had been her youth pastor for her two older sisters and her older brother, 
And she, in 2017, started in seventh grade and was there until 2019 when I left. I knew this family very, very well. And my very first words were, this is why I do what I do. This is the hope that we have in Christ. So I was going to preach a funeral message this morning of the hope we had in Christ. Because that would be appropriate, right? Um, but then I, I think as we started, we started getting, in, um, getting into it, I, I really just wanted to preach more about the hope of the coming Christ and the hope of, uh, dear, because instead of more of an Easter death sermon, I was going to preach more of like the coming king sermon. So we, we went from the end of John to the first of John. So we're going to be in John chapter one this morning. And uh, I know TJ would probably turn this into like six messages. Um, this, this is what I'm calling the light is our hope or I have crossed out. This is the good parts of John 1. <laughs> so there's a lot of meat going to be left on, and I hope you go through and, and, and dig in that this week. Uh, but I think we can see the hope that's in the light of Christ, the one who is to come this morning. And uh, so let's go ahead and bow. We're going to read through it and then just walk through the text as we go this morning. So pray with me. Dearly Father, we thank you for being present in this room. God, we trust in your promises. We hope in Jesus. He's what our foundation is on. He is what our life is about. God, this morning as I, I preach your word, I pray that you give me clarity and strength. And God, I pray for hearts to be receptive uh, and, and to, to take in what you have, have put on this page as your inspired word and implant it into our lives to go out and to obey it and to be changed because of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to start right here in verse 1 of chapter 1. Wow, it's already up there. We're going to have to go back on the slides. I apologize. But in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the, in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which, which gives light to everyone. It was coming into the world he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here's the shortest Christmas story in the New Testament, verse 14. And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen the glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is the one who I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. 
the only God who is the Father, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. May God bless the reading of His Word this morning. Uh, I, it, it's no no. Uh, if I get to pick where I go, I'm probably going to go to the Gospel of John or or maybe a narrative in the New Testament. I love telling stories, uh, but the Gospel of John is, is something special. Uh, the Gospel of John it may not move quite as fast as the Gospel of Mark, but the Gospel of John is. It, it, it does move a little faster. It's not worried so much about the history it, it, or the, the genealogy. It's worried about the relationship. And, and this is written from not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, the beloved. Um, it's kind of a, seems like a weird title to give yourself of Jesus, the one he loved. <laughs> um, but I do, I do enjoy it. He comes from a, from a, a relationship aspect um, I think another reason I like this is because I'm really not good at like telling stories on my own or telling jokes. I always jump ahead and I, I, uh, I usually laugh before the punchline or I share the punchline before I get to the story and, and the details happen really quickly. And so I, I really love this message. Also, uh, when, when we're studying Greek, we usually go to John's writings in Greek because they're simple. They're, they're, they're a lot more simple to, to pars and and. and you know, they're not complex like Paul's is. And so when, whenever we are, are understanding them, it's pretty simple, his writing, yet his words are incredibly complex. I know we're not going through the whole book, but I think it sets up, like, John's pretty easy when you understand the theme, and pretty much that theme runs through the whole book of John. He, over 100 times in the book, it says to believe. Over 80 times, it says to love. And 45 times, it says the word truth. If I make my own definition of what the whole theme is, he wants to believe the truth so that we can enter into a relationship of love with the Lord, and this is our hope. But I didn't have to make my own definition. John summed it up in the end, in verse 31 of chapter 20, he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I pray that for you this morning, that you may have life in his name. I pray that this message, even though it may be a message of, you know, a repetition of the gospel again, that it may stir those affections for Christ and and bring life into your life, that maybe the light would shine into those dark places of your life, and and God would rejuvenate, restore the, the joy of your salvation that you have because of the gospel message this morning. So we go back to verse one, chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word, uh, the word was with God and the word was God. That's the logos and, and that's pointing to, to Christ. It says he was in the beginning with God. He, he, he has been the whole time. It says all things were made through him and without him not Anything was made that was made. I love the way that says that. But I believe that this gives us perfect purpose for our life. He created all things for himself and by himself, and nothing was made without him. That's why we can't find satisfaction in any other, other thing. Again, this is our purpose. We were not created for our work or by our work. We weren't created for our spouse and by our spouse, even though my wife's working on that. (laughs) 
we weren't created, and this one relates to me. You know, if you've, if you've been in, played sports through college, I really identified after college with being an athlete, and God's really humbled me on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we weren't created for our sport and by our sport, even though I did believe that for a while. We were made for Christ and by Christ. He is our hope, and he is our purpose. We can find no satisfaction in anything else wholly, permanently, eternally, except in Christ. Verse 4 and 5, it jumps into this theme of the light where we're going to hang out most of the day. And it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As we were starting the Advent season, usually there's a they, they would have a candle, and, and we'd start lighting the candles, and I came from pretty traditional churches where the families would come up, and they'd light it, and this, is, this, this candle that today we'd be lighting is the light of hope, the light that shines in the darkness. Our hope is in Jesus. This is an external hope, and he exposes those dark places in our life and in the world, and Jesus has overcome the world. And as we jump in, we're going to see that there is a messenger of the light named John the Baptist. But we also have the same, uh, the same purpose for our own life, is to be a messenger. So here we go in 6 through 9, and we're also going to jump to 15 as we go through this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all might believe in him. He was not the light but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light would give, gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. John that was mentioned here is, again, is, is not the writer, uh, the, the apostle. This is John the Baptist. Um, he is the one who, who came to prepare the path for the Lord. He was making straight the way of the Lord. He, he wanted the Lord to be known, and he was going out before him so it would be easier for people to receive him uh, John the Baptist's message was pretty, um, even though this message isn't about John the Baptist, his message was pretty radical for the time. Um, he called all people to humble themselves, all people to, to prepare their hearts, Gentiles and Jews alike. And that was, um, that was a hard thing for a lot of Jews, but many Jews were coming to him and being like, I do need to prepare my heart. And they were getting baptized for forgiveness of sins, which showed that they had something wrong with them. And this is the way he was preparing the path. And we all have something wrong with us. John the Baptist was cousins with Jesus. And in chapter 2, it kind of explains that more. more. And when Jesus uh, and John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, met, it said John the Baptist was filled from the, with the Holy Spirit from his mom's womb. And he leaped with joy. And there was something special about this guy. that God had a, a purpose and a calling for him. Sometimes, something we see about John that I think some people get wrong today is that they mistake the messenger of the light to be the light themselves. And what I mean by this is John was gathering huge crowd. He was the first mega pastor of the time. I used to say stuff like this about John the Baptist, like he was so heavenly minded that he was no earthly good, and that was just stupid. Uh, <laughs> thousands and thousands of people were following John the Baptist. He was making a huge difference. Yes, he was weird. <laughs> But he was making a difference. It's amazing what God can use. But even his own disciples 
had to be corrected by John. Be like, hey, this guy's baptizing more people than you are. And, and it was like, I feel like sometimes when I read the Bible, I see like this comedy sketch. He's like, come on, dummy, this is what I'm here for. This is the guy who came. This, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. This is the reason that we're here. This is the reason I came. And he kind of backs out. But he wasn't this like, I think when, when we see these Bible stories, we think of like this Sunday school, uh, pretty picture painted uh, uh, of the people that are doing these things. John the Baptist was like, hey, could you send word? Is Jesus really the one? Because now I'm in jail. I'm about to get my head cut off. Is he really the one? And Jesus replied he was. And, but he struggled even at the end of his life. He was a real person. But I think what we can get wrong too is that we mistake the messengers of the light sometimes for the light. We follow those who are in charge over who's actually the one we're supposed to be following. And, and this is kind of a hard balance to follow, but um, I think many times we, we, we feel disappointment sometimes in the church because people fail, and it, it hurts us. Like, I think we've all experienced that at some point or another. I think the thing to remember here is that the one we're supposed to follow and be a disciple of is Jesus, and he will never fail us. He will never let us down. We, as the church, it is important. This is God's plan A, and there is no plan B to make disciples of all nations. It is the church. But we are all broken people who have a hope and a need of a Savior in Jesus. And he is the, the light who we're supposed to point people to, and it's not ourselves. Um, <clears throat> John the Baptist uh, knew his role. He knew his mission. And he lived it out. I was at an FCA uh, last year, little meeting, and they asked a question. It was a really great question. It says, what makes a good teammate? And they went around the circle and let all the, the teammates answer these questions. And the best answer and kind of the, the combined answer was to know your role. When you play a team sport, I, I played football. When you, when you play a team sport, we can't all carry the ball. We can't all throw the ball. We have a specific responsibility. If we don't do that responsibility, then it messes everything else up. If we try to do more than we're supposed to do, then we might mess somebody else up. We need to know our role. John's purpose, it says in verse 7, that all might believe in him. Again, this is a huge theme, the main theme, belief. John six twenty nine says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who was sent. You know, there's a difference between a, a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. There's a difference between just believing. I know in, in John, or, uh, uh, James, I wasn't planning to quote this verse, but in James it says, oh, you do well. Even the demons believe in shudder. It, it, it's more than that. So, Imagine that I knew uh, that my car broke down in Kansas City. I don't even know if that's where Patrick Mahomes lives, but that's who I'm going to mention. Imagine my, my car broke down in Kansas City, and um, it's in front of Patrick Mahomes' house. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, which is pretty, like, it, it could happen. My cars are pretty uh, susceptible to breaking down. It's pretty, pretty normal. Um, 
So let's imagine I'm there, which isn't too hard to imagine, and I just break down. And so I walk and find his front door, and I knock on it. It's like 2 in the morning. What do you think he's going to say to me? Uh, who are you, you weirdo? How do you get past my security and get off my porch? But I'll be like, no, 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 no. I've watched you every game. No, I know, I don't know any stats. I know, I know all your stats, and I just quoted to him. I know that your agent is this. I know your wife's name. I know your kid's names. I know your dog's name. He's like, that's weird. Are you stalking me? Get off my porch, Right? But let, let me think if my, my car breaks down um, in front of TJ's house. I knock on his door. He may say, get away, you weirdo. But he'll be like, all right, what do you need? All right, just go. Scott, you live a block away. Just walk home. <laughs> but he, would, he, he knows me. We have a relationship. We've, we've spent time together. There's, there's a difference. I may know more about Patrick Mahomes. You may be a huge fan, but you need heart knowledge and, and, and heart connection and really time with the person to really know the person. And so that's the kind of belief that Jesus is calling us into and John is calling us into this morning in the text. So my next point is, is that we are all supposed to respond to the light. John is a messenger of the light. We too are supposed to be messengers of the light, but, but we should respond to that light. So look at verse 10 with me. <clears throat> he was in the world, meaning Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Some still lived in darkness. What must have that felt like for the God incarnate, the God in flesh, for God to, to send himself down to this earth and he's proclaiming the gospel and some just rejected him? What must have that felt like for him? His own didn't receive him and rejected him. Jesus reveals himself to all, but not all will receive him. There are those in the world that have not seen the light of Christ. They have not recognized that he is the creator and that Jesus is part of the triune God. Those who do not see are spiritually blind and are living in darkness. In other parts of the gospel, I think of like, they have ears but they can't hear. They have eyes but they can't see. His own people in verse 11 can mean the people that he created, or it could mean the Jewish people. That's kind of what I'm leaning to as I understand the text. Is like his own people, like the Jewish people, the, the people that are covenantal people that have his promise. They didn't receive him. The world and the Jews, they stiffen their necks to the revelation about God, even though there's sufficient, te sufficient testimony that he is who he says he is. It says that even in general revelation, that the world should know that this world is, there is a creator God. Even though Jesus is speaking here of specific revelation, Psalms 19, 1 through 2 says, The heaven declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pour out speech, and night to night reveal knowledge. One of the most famous verses about this is Romans 1, 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, 
have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. If the people don't hear the message and would not be held liable to the penalty of sin, the best thing we could ever do is not go tell anybody. But the whole world is held liable and needs the gospel preached. We need to have an urgency about us in our lives. We too need to be the messengers of the light. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this, how then will they call upon them in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You go down to verse 17 and it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Once you start seeing that, what, like, once, I, once it kind of clicked in my head that he in, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God, every time I see the word logos in the Bible, it like, it clicks. Like, this is the important part. This is the revelation of Jesus. Everything in his word is pointing to him. In verse 12 of this chapter, it goes on to say, some do receive him. But all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How beautiful is that? That God allows us to be his children, that he adopts us as sons and daughters, that we become king's kids. That is amazing. We get the inheritance of the king. And our hope is not here. Our hope is there. John MacArthur says, we don't win here, we win there. Theologian Carrie Underwood says, this is my temporary home. It's not where I belong. (laughs) Our hope is an external hope. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the one who bought us and chose us and has adopted us and has made us king's kids. We have no faith in ourselves. We are the creation who is created on purpose and for purpose to worship and glorify God with our lives. Those are some of the most powerful promises that God gives and offers us, and we can have assurance in that. Verse 13, kind of like, when you look at something, and all of a sudden it just does this little change of angle. It does this little change of angle um, as we're kind of looking at this whole thing about receiving him, he gives three ways that you can't receive Jesus. It says, uh, you become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So number one, it can't be because of your bloodline. You cannot be saved because you were born into a Christian family. You cannot be saved if your dad is Billy Graham, the Pope, Mother Teresa, she can't be a dad. I guess she could. It's weird times. Um, You can only have salvation through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and by believing in who he says he is. If you're carrying your parents' faith, 
You've got to make it your own. And I know that's a weird thing to say to a room of adults, but like, I stopped caring about what my parents thought. They're here this morning a long time ago. <laughs> like when I was six. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they probably believe that, but that's not true. Um, it says, number two, you cannot be saved by the will of the flesh. I'm just going to be moral enough. I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps, and I'm going to give my best effort. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much you go to church. It doesn't matter how, how much you don't sin. <laughs> you can't be moral enough to pay the price for the sin in your own life. There is nothing your flesh can do to inherit salvation Many times we're like, well, I'm not as bad as that guy or that girl. But it doesn't matter. Our flesh and our morality, it can't save us. And then this last one, I, I wish it could be from the will of man. I, I wish I could will my children into salvation. I wish it was like, we're just going to do enough devotions and study enough catechisms and, and, and we're going we're gonna, to, you know, just buckle down so they will be saved. But, be, but belief is a gift to be received. And, and if, if I try to manipulate that, or even this morning, if it, when, I, when I'm, I'm calling you to come to Christ, if, if it's just an emotionalism, it's no good. I love D.L. Moody's quote. He's an evangelist. Uh, and he said he was, he was riding on a train and he came back, a man came back to him and said, Mr. Moody, a drunk man came back to him. <laughs> a drunk man came back to him. Said, Mr. Moody, I'm the one, I'm one of your converts. And Moody replied, I'm afraid you are because you're obviously not a convert of the Lord. <laughs> I don't want people to be my converts. <laughs> I want people to be Christ converts. I, I don't want people to, I, I hope there's some things I can share in my life like Paul says, imitate me. I hope there's some things that I can share and I, I hope that your, your, your leaders and TJ and your elders can point to you and see things in them that you can imitate that will help you in your life. But ultimately, the only one who can give us that life is Christ. The only one who can give us that salvation is Christ. Verse 13 sums it up well. <clears throat> the only way you can be saved is by the work of God in your life. Verse 6, John 6, 29, again, I'm just repeating it. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who was sent. I know many of you are like, well, I don't see miracles today. Anytime someone comes to Christ and their dead hearts are made alive, that's a miracle. That is a miracle you can see today. Then we jump down to, to verse 14. The light is revealed in both grace and truth in Jesus. And the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jump down to 16. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John 14 says that Jesus 
is the incarnate God, and he became flesh. This is the Christmas story. Really quickly. <laughs> Luke 2, we could have read and read and read. We could have read the Magnificat of Mary. But this is the express version. This is the hope that we have been waiting for, that God is redeeming us back into a relationship with him. God dwells with men in the presence of, of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, also in, in his appearances in, in the pre-incarnate Christ. But in the New Testament, he has come as God in flesh. I have a friend uh, and a mentor of mine named Donnie Stubblefield, and uh, I texted him this week because <clears throat> Donnie's saying is, go and be Jesus with skin on. And I, and I texted him, I was like, hey, Donnie, Jesus already did that. <laughs> Jesus was our, had skin on. He became flesh. He said, you know what I mean. Um, but this is what Jesus has done for us to save the world. And the word became flesh. Revelations 21, 3 through 4 puts it kind of this, this section into, uh, into clear view. And it says, I've heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for these things have passed away. I think we see is it also talks about the law in verse 17, the law, it says in Galatians, the law becomes a tutor to lead us to Christ so that others may be justified in faith. We see the law of God that he, he gave in the Old Testament as a magnifying glass. If we look at the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, he's, he's pointing to the law and says, we don't even live up. We don't live up to it. And it's because Jesus has something greater to offer us than the law ever could, and that he paid the price for us. In this verse, it says there's two attributes that closely connect Christ, and it's grace and truth. Scripture teaches us that salvation is holy by believing in God's truth of the gospel by which we've received from his saving grace. There's a quote about grace. Grace is heaven's best for earth's worst. I believe you need both grace and truth in our own lives. I believe that kind of gives us a balanced life. I think Jesus is, is not 50% grace and 50% truth. I think he's 100% grace and 100% truth. I believe that even in our own lives, if we kind of examine ourselves, we, we kind of lean to grace people or truth people. Um, I know in my wife, she's more black and white than I am. She's like truth. And I'm more of the, well, you know, maybe if they really needed help, we, it's only $50. She's like, we only have $25. Yeah, but overdraft protection, you know, the way my bank account works and stuff. <clears throat> we need both grace and truth. If in the church we, we are all, all grace, then we, we tend to lean towards liberalism. If we're all truth, we lead towards legalism. And I believe that Jesus came equally both grace and truth. You see, Jesus says, um, 
as we kind of compare the twos. Grace says there is a way to God for anyone. Truth says there's only one way to God. Grace says redemption is possible. Where truth says repentance from sin is necessary. Grace says I love you just the way you are. Truth says I love you too much for you to stay that way. Grace says God loves sinners. Truth says God hates sin. Grace says anyone can come to God. Truth says everyone must come through Jesus. Grace says God is love. Truth says God is holy. Grace says there's a heaven and you can go there. Truth says there's a hell and you can go there. Truth says there's salvation for all who desire it. Grace says there's judgment for those who don't. Grace says saved by grace through faith. Truth says faith without works is dead. And somehow our Savior is fully grace and fully truth. He is the light. He is the hope that we are waiting for. And we need to live in the balances of his grace and truth. This is how we make Jesus known. And if I had to sum up this, this whole message today and these, these good parts of John 1, I would say this. We, as believers, should be messengers of the light of Christ, willing to let his light shine in the darkness of our hearts and this, word, or this world so that others would receive him with the fullness of both grace and truth. The light of Christ is our hope. My challenge to you this week is you find a way to let Christ's light shine in you, to be a messenger of that light, to remind people why Christmas is such a big deal. Why, why do we want to celebrate? We should be celebrating Christmas and Easter and all the holidays all the time, but why focus on it right now? And how is it going to affect your daily living? And how will you let your light shine so others may believe? I don't think it's just putting good works out there. Because I know that Jesus is the word and salvation comes through the word. We need to share the gospel this week. And so as we are coming to a close today, I would say that, that would be my challenge to you, to go and, and, and have, to let your light shine, but use your words also to communicate the hope we have in Jesus. In a time of response, and also we, we kind of jump into our communion time now, and um, I want to let you know that everyone is invited to the table. We just ask that you have a belief in Christ. And uh, when the music plays, you can come up at any time uh, to take communion. We're reminded by these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. You're good. <laughs> For I've received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he gave, given thanks, he broke it, and he said, 
This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that has the ability to waken dead hearts to life. We thank you for the word that you use to admonish us, the word that you use to encourage us. And God, we pray that our life is centered on your word and that our life is reflecting your word. And this week, I pray for everyone in here that they would take the challenge to to share the light of Christ with somebody they come in contact with this week. God, most of these people already know the person they need to share with. God, I pray that they would have a miraculous moment where you could share and and you would awaken their, their dead hearts to life, shine that light in the dark places. So God, as we come to the communion table to be reminded of the gospel message this morning, may this also be an action step for us to come and agreements with, agreements with your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.